Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the serialized audiobook, Ancestor, written by number one New York Times bestselling novelist, Scott Sigler, performed by the author. Ancestor is also available in print, ebook, and unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash Ancestor. November 8th. Every picture tells a story. Magnus folded his cell phone and put it in his left jacket pocket. He took a sip from a glass of Yukon Jack. The ice cubes clinked a little. He set the drink down and put both hands on the desktop. He breathed slowly, in and out, in and out. In contrast to his brother's da Vinci sketches and priceless works of art, Magnus decorated his office with personal items, dozens of photos, and a single wall-mounted display case. Several of the photos showed a smiling, post-mission Magnus in various uniforms, some tan and brown, some green, one in a thick wetsuit. In all of those, he was posing with other dirty, smiling, dangerous-looking men. Four faces showed up repeatedly, Andy Crossweight, Gunther Jones, Brady Giovanni, and Bobby Valentine. Those pictures came from Magnus's years in Joint Task Force 2, the counter-terrorist division of the Canadian Special Forces. He smiled a lot in those pictures. Things had made sense back then. The largest photo was from Magnus's days as a tight end for the Calgary Stampeders of the Canadian Football League. Dressed in the red and white uniform, stretching high and long to catch a football just before landing in the end zone. A simpler time. A time between leaving the service and joining Dante at Janata. The pictures weren't all from the CFL or JTF2. One of them showed Magnus and Andy Crossweight holding hunting rifles, kneeling in front of an old well made of black stone, a bloody line of nine severed deer heads spread out before them. Dante kept asking him to take that picture down, said the office wasn't the place for it, but Magnus liked it, so it stayed. There were also postcardish shots, of course, pictures of Magnus and Dante fly fishing in Montana, at a business meeting in Brussels, together on a yacht in the south of France. Those photos with his brother were true treasures. Nothing mattered more than family. Dante was the only family that Magnus had left. Dante had also asked Magnus to remove the wooden display case, but that simply wasn't going to happen. On the left, the case showed Magnus's unit insignia and rank pins. Stretching out to the right, a dozen K-bar knives mounted point down, sharp edge facing right. Each of the knives had a story. Five of the knives showed the blackened discolorations of metal heated in a fire. There was enough space for three or four more on the case's right-hand side. Some tales are never finished. Magnus took one last deep breath, focused, let it out slow, then turned to his computer and called up a spreadsheet. A lot of red. His brother was running Janata into the ground because of some altruistic vision. And for what? A replacement organ bought you what, 10 years? Maybe 20? 
the universe was at least 13 billion years old. Were there even enough decimal places to measure 20 years against that? Everyone dies, some sooner than others. Dante had smarts, cleverness, business instincts. That was why Dad had left the company to Dante, not to Magnus. A smart decision, the right decision. But one thing that Dante didn't have was a real backbone. That was okay, though. That's what brothers are for. When it came time for the hard decisions, Magnus would protect his brother. Magnus would make sure that things got done. November 8th, the games people play. Colding knocked on the door to Tim Feely's apartment. Enter, Tim called from inside. Colding tried the handle and found it locked. It's locked, dumbass. You know the code. I don't know the code to your door, Tim. You know my computer password? Same thing, chief. Colding sighed. He did know that password, as did everyone else. 6969. The high security practices of their resident computer expert. Colding punched the numbers into the keypad mounted on the wall next to the door. Tim sat on the couch of his tiny living room, laptop on the coffee table in front of him. Also on the coffee table, a half-empty bottle of Talisker scotch. Tim loved his scotch. His apartment looked exactly like Jean's and every other apartment in the facility. About 600 square feet of cozy space divided into a living room, a kitchenette, a bathroom, and a bedroom. Come on, Tim. Why are you working in here instead of with Jean? Because tiny overlord Roomkorf wants us to think differently. Immune response test fail again? Tim nodded. Colding walked up to the couch and peeked at Tim's laptop screen. Dude, Colding said, is Scotch and Tetris really a part of thinking different? Tim shrugged. Apparently my brain isn't really worth anything. I might as well explore new territories, like a good buzz and a high score. Oh, come on. Your wallet should be embroidered with the word smart motherfucker. How did Roomkorf handle it? Tim paused the game, took a sip of his drink. Roomkorf is a douchebag, man. A real douchebag. I don't see that, Colding said. He's just an intense guy. He'd sell you out in a heartbeat if it got him what he wanted. He'd sell any of us out. Tim and Roomkorf had clashed from the beginning. Tim did a good job of pushing down his dislike and playing his role, mostly. You know what really burns my ass? What? That Gian is doing the real work. So is Erica. But Roomkorf is going to get the lion's share of the credit. You gotta let it go, Colding said. We're here to save lives, change history, not for glory. Ha! I'm in it for the money. Colding felt a stab of anger, but shoved it away. Maybe Tim was kidding, maybe not. It didn't matter. As long as Tim helped make the project a success, he could have whatever motivation he liked. Should I check in on Roomkorf? Tim shrugged. If you like being in the presence of a walking, talking asshole, that's your business. He'll be in the genetics lab, no doubt. But why do that when you can park your ass for a few and have a drink with me, brother man? I should check in on everyone first. Maybe I'll have one later tonight. Tim shook his head. No, I can't do later. I'm 
I'm kind of taking a break now, but in a few hours, I'll be locked down in here. Really getting into the research, you know? Tim needs his alone time. And before you ask, I checked on Jean and she's fine. And also, before you ask, I'll make sure she takes her meds in a little bit. Gosh, it's like you have ESP or something. That or a basic short-term memory, Tim said. If you're not going to get tanked with me, kindly move along so I can make Tetris my digital bitch. Colin gave a half-assed salute, then walked out of the apartment. Just as Tim had predicted, Roomcorp stood alone in the genetics lab, staring up at a wall-sized screen full of nothing but black squares. What's up, Doc? Roomcorp turned, eyes tight with anger, but seemed to relax a little when he saw Colding. I fear I am not in the mood for your cartoon references today, my friend. Suffering succotash, Colding said. That bad? Yes, that's bad. We are at an impasse. I am convinced we're missing something relatively obvious. Did you try turning it off, then turning it back on? Rumkorf glared, then laughed. If only it was that simple. Is Bobby still here? I could use some flying time to forget all of this. Sorry, he had to take off. It's any consolation, he left four new samples. The little man sighed. Well, who knows? Maybe the answer is in one of those. Please ask Tim to process them right away. Tim is, uh, very busy, Coling said. Said he had a puzzling issue. Roomcorp rolled his eyes. You are a horrible liar. Tetris again? Coling nodded. Roomcorp rubbed his eyes. Have Gian process the samples. The work is beneath her, but maybe she could use a change of pace. Speaking of Jean, Doc, her nightmares are getting worse. Oh? How often? More intense? Roomcorp's words came out fast and clipped. He even sounded a little excited. Colding often wondered if the man saw Jean as a person or as a set of symptoms, just another scientific problem to be solved. Three nights in a row, Colding said. I can't really say if they're more intense. Any hallucinations? I don't think so. Should you change your dosage again? Roomcorp shook his head. No. We need to let the most recent change run its course. See if it corrects the situation before we introduce an additional variable. But she's sleeping less and less. I'm worried about her. You worry about everyone and everything, Roomcorp said. Trust me. I'll make adjustments before she becomes suicidal again. We can't lose Jan now, can we? Colding chewed on his lower lip. Roomcorp was the doctor here, and he'd helped John before. Maybe the little man was right. Maybe these things just took time. Okay, Colding said. I'll give John the samples and have her process them. How about you? Can I get you anything? Do you have a Nobel Prize in your pocket? No, that's not a Nobel Prize. I'm just really glad to see you. Roomcorp laughed again, then pushed Colding out of the lab. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. 
Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. November 8th, Opportunity of a Lifetime. The five people in Janata's plush meeting room made for quite the Fortune 500 photo op. Two men and a woman from America, one Playboy Brit entrepreneur, and one Chinese shipping mogul. Both of the American men had made billions in technology, one in software, the other with a search engine, while the woman had turned her family's small line of hotels into the world's second largest chain. The shipping mogul was the biggest risk. If word got back to the Chinese State Council, Dante would have much to answer for. They expected to be the sole investor in this project. When it succeeded, the Chinese government would have a way to help its estimated 1.5 million citizens waiting for an organ transplant. With only about 100,000 potential donors annually, the People's Republic was desperate to do something to help its populace. The situation was so bad that human rights organizations claimed prisoners were being killed to harvest their organs. China needed a solution. Roomcorp's project was it. Still, the shipping magnate hadn't become one of the richest people on the planet by running his mouth about exclusive investment opportunities. He'd be fine. At least, Dante hoped he'd be fine. Dante greeted the billionaires, gave his most charming smile, then got down to business. Janata has a cash flow issue with a critical project. We need capital, and we need it now. That gives you a window of opportunity. You've all signed non-disclosure agreements, so I'll just cut to the chase. He picked up a remote control and hit a button, turning on the large, flat-panel monitor mounted on the wall. The screen displayed a chart with a rising, jagged red line. The red line represents the growing number of people in the United States with terminal illnesses who are waiting for an organ transplant. Over 100,000 right now, up from 80,000 just five years ago, which was up from 53,000 a decade ago. A new name is added to the list every 10 minutes. Only about 15,000 organs will become available this year, roughly 55% from deceased donors, the rest from living donors. In the United States, the average wait for a kidney is over 14 months. The discrepancy between those needing an organ and available organs increases by about 12% each year. Roughly 14,000 Americans will die this year while waiting for an organ that will never arrive. Those numbers are just the United States. Worldwide, some estimates range as high as 750,000 people who need a kidney transplant. 
That doesn't take into account the need for hearts, lungs, and livers. Janata estimates the average fee for a replacement organ will be around $50,000. That means an annual market of over $37 billion. And that is the current market. With improving living conditions and medical care in India, China, and elsewhere in the developing world, we expect the number of people needing an organ transplant to double in the next 10 years. Do I have your attention thus far? The five investors' heads nodded in unison. Several companies are trying to solve this shortfall by a process known as xenotransplantation, transplanting the organs or tissues of one species into another. Animal parts, said a small man with thick glasses and a mop haircut. He was one of the American software magnates, and by some standards, the richest man on earth. Baboon hearts, pig livers, and the like. Dante nodded and smiled. With current technology, a xenotransplant can keep someone alive for a few days, weeks at most, and only then if the patient stays in a hospital the whole time. The human immune system, you see, usually attacks the organ. Defeating that immune response is the goal of most companies, but solving that issue leads to a larger, far more significant hazard. Xenotransplantation opens up the possibility of a virus jumping species. When you introduce a foreign organ into a human body, you also introduce any viruses that are in that organ. Normally, these viruses die quickly, as they aren't designed to attack a human host. But if those viruses adapt to infect human cells, we can get an infection against which humans have no natural antibodies. The H1N1 virus, the shipping magnet said. Swine flu, SARS, bird flu. Those are species-jumping viruses. Or like what just happened in Greenland, said the lone woman. This doesn't sound like a valid investment to me. This sounds like a way to kill millions. The comment caught Dante by surprise. The four men looked at the woman. They obviously hadn't heard about Greenland, but their confidence slipped nonetheless. Apparently, Janata wasn't the only company with contacts in high places. Dante briefly wondered if Farm Girl might be selling the same information to other parties. Janata has the solution, he said. We are perhaps the only valid investment in this area because our process eliminates any possibility of a virus jumping from the donor species to humans. He clicked a button on the remote. The picture showed a small creature perched on a rotting log, surrounded by exotic vegetation of some long-gone jungle. The creature had somewhat of a teardrop shape, thick in the middle, narrowing to thin hips, and ending in a short, pointed tail. The rear legs stuck out at 45-degree angles from those slight hips, resulting in knees and feet farther away from the body than those of a cat or a dog. The front legs also jutted away from the body, but at less of an angle. A sparse layer of silvery fur covered the lithe little body, although it showed some characteristics of a modern animal particularly the long whiskers protruding from its pointy nose, it looked unmistakably primitive. This is a Thrinaxodon, which lived some 200 million years ago. It's a member of a group of animals known as synapsids, also called proto-mammals. Something like the Thrinaxodon gave rise to all mammals. That something is the ancestor of you, me, dogs, dolphins, every mammal species. That ancestor, my friends, is what Janata is recreating, and it's going to make all of you a great deal of money. The mop-haired man stood up, a big smile on his face, his eyes alight with excitement. 
So let me get this straight. You're creating this ancestor creature so you can put its organs into people and save lives, and at the same time, eliminate the possibility of these dangerous viruses? Dante nodded. We will create an animal similar to the mammalian ancestor. Since the ancestor will be engineered from the DNA up, we can ensure the resulting animal will not carry any naturally occurring viruses that could adapt to infect people. Cataloging and working with this computerized biological data is a science called bioinformatics. The Human Genome Project and Solera Genomics sequenced the entire human genetic code right down to every last nucleotide, but humans were only the start. Scientists have sequenced thousands of mammals, storing the digital analysis in public databases like GeneBank. These genomes, combined with animals we sequenced ourselves, give Janata the complete genetic code of almost every mammal on the planet. I do not understand, the shipping magnate said. You have genomes of modern animals, but not of this ancestor. Genetic mutation is the basis of evolution, Dante said. But not all genes mutate at the same rate. As species branch out from a common ancestor, some genes mutate faster. Some don't mutate at all. By using a molecular clock, so to speak, we can gauge which sequences have changed, and by comparing that gene to the same gene of another mammal, we can tell which sequence is older, closer to the original ancestor's genetic code. The woman smiled. Well, I'll be damned. That's such a simple concept. Just use the lowest common denominator. You take out everything that's unique, you'll be left with everything that's common. Dante nodded. They were getting it. The woman was the toughest sell. The software mogul was in. Dante could see that plain as day. But if the woman invested, the last three would follow. Our staff created an evolution lab inside the computer, Dante said. This program statistically analyzes genomes based on the probable function of each gene sequence. The computer works with our digitized ancestor genome, predicting final form and function, then makes changes, predicts again, and measures probability for desired traits. It's just like evolution, only in reverse and a million times faster than nature. We create the creature in the computer, one nucleotide at a time. Since it's created from scratch, we know for certain that it's free of any viral contamination. The Chinese man spoke. But that animal on the screen, it is too small. You could not put its heart in me. Correct, Dante said. But that animal on the screen was created only in silica, only on the computer, to give us a baseline. We've already done that. From there, the computer added specific virtual genes coding for size and human organ compatibility. Our first living generation won't be perfect, but we can analyze the phenotype, the size of the animal and what it looks like, against the genotype, the actual DNA coding. Once we have that, we keep modifying the genome until the animal's organs are ideally suited for human transplantation. The mop-haired man sat back down. But if you have all this technology, why not just grow the organs individually? Some companies are working on just that solution, but it's not yet possible. And when it is possible, growing an individual organ will require an expensive lab or manufacturing center. Short answer, the cost per organ would be astronomical. Janata's ancestors, on the other hand, will be herd animals. And most importantly, they will be able to breed. All we have to do is put them out to pasture and feed them. Organ demand grows, we simply raise more animals. 
What about PETA, the woman said. And what about the Animal Liberation Front? They've been targeting xenotransplantation research. We think we have the competitive advantage there as well, Dante said. The ancestors do not occur in nature. We made them, down to the last strands of DNA. We will even use that fact to insist other companies abandon research on pigs and primates. If Janata has already solved the problem, there's no longer a need for that potentially dangerous research. The software magnate laughed. <laughs> you want a monopoly. A monopoly on human life. Dante nodded. Lady and gentlemen, nothing sells like life itself. When we succeed, we will be the only vendor. We will be able to charge whatever the market will bear. For the millions of people not quite ready for death, the market will bear quite a lot. Within an hour, all five had left, and all five had given the same decision. Yes. That gave Janata enough capital for at least one more year. Magnus would be so pleased. You have been listening to Ancestor by Scott Sigler. Performed by the author. Produced by Empty Set Entertainment. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.